sermon series, The Excellencies, the Beauty, and the Perfections of God. And, you know, in no way have we exhausted the topic. However, we've tried to revisit and remind ourselves of how very important this type of study is. A.W. Tozer, in The Knowledge of the Holy, said this, What enters our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And, without a doubt, or without doubt, the mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. So that's what we start with here a uh, bit of a reminder about this study of the attributes of God. Um, I hope you'll never think that that will be a boring study when we do it again in the future. I hope that you'll never think of that when you see a book on the attributes of God. The important thing is, is to connect that with the Scripture to make sure that it's in line with what the Scripture reveals about God. And we sung about Him here this morning. Um, You know, the idea of studying the attributes of God as revealed in Scripture proves to be stabilizing and securing in your life. With all that goes on in our world, think about that. You and I get, you know, the winds of life circumstances, all the storms of life, all the things that hit you, the more that you as a believer in Jesus Christ understand the attributes of God and then say, Lord, please help me to understand this and apply this understanding, apply this uh, awareness, then the more stable and secure you'll be because you're being grounded in the faith. That's what's happening when you study the character of God, the attributes of God. Um, It also proves to be not just stabilizing, but it's stimulating for our growth as children of God. That's what he wants in your life is that you and I would grow and um, learn more about him. In this, uh, this stimulation of the growth, actually it enhances, it ought to enhance our worship. When you study about the character of God, it ought to make worship sweeter, more intimate. And I want to challenge you in this way. Do you think that our worship time in singing songs and choruses and spiritual songs and hymns, is that something that you don't enter into? It's designed for you to enter into and worship God. Not just to see how loud we can sing. Okay? It's designed to enhance our worship. Is the, the more that you know God, the more that we want to worship God. And that it ought not only to enhance our worship, but our prayer life and our witness, our evangelizing, all of that. It ought to, that's what it ought to do. Now, how long have you known God? How long have you known God? There's a lot of you in here that have known God, quote-unquote, all your life. You've known Him for years. So what difference does it make? What difference is it making in our lives that we say we know God? I hope that that grabs you and causes you to pause and think and contemplate, where am I really at? Am I playing a game called religion? Am I playing a game called church? Because this is what we fall into, folks. This is very easily... We fall into this and we play the game of church and religion. And you know what God does with that? God kind of spews that out out of his mouth. And so I need to weigh out my motives. I need to evaluate my life. You need to evaluate yourself in this regard. You say you know God. How does it reflect? Okay. How does it reflect in your life? See, all of this points us to what you and I were made for. You were made for something. Okay. 
It's our calling, it's our destiny to know Him more intimately, not know Him more intellectually. They go hand in hand. You you need to know Him intellectually, but you need to know Him so that you'll grow to know Him intimately and that we would not just know Him more intimately, but love Him more genuinely. We could all say, yeah, oh yeah, I love the Lord. We raise our hands, yep, love the Lord. See, it's is it words or is it genuine reality in our lives as we live our lives out see you you and i can put on the show here on a sunday morning but what matters is on a monday night monday afternoon tuesday afternoon wednesday thursday friday during the week what's your life showing and what's your life reflect during the week and the idea is that then if we are knowing him more intimately loving him more genuinely then you and i can hopefully Glorify him more consistently. Okay? Is there anything greater than glorifying God in your life? You say, well, yeah, it's this or this. Or this. You know what? If it is something great, it's, it all comes back to glorifying God. You're glorifying God. But see, glor- when I say glorify God, here's another Christian lingo term. Oh yeah, let's glorify God. And do we really know what that means? Do you know what it means to glorify God in your life? Or is that just another kind of catchword? So, I want to conclude. This is all my introduction still. <laughs> I want to conclude this message, uh, this series, with the one and only never-ending story. The one and only never-ending story. As you think back on your life, especially you who are over 50. <laughs> think back on your life and you remember as a young person, what was really cool? That's what we used to say back then. What was really cool? What was really, you know, top notch? Um, you know, was it Elvis? Maybe for some of you it was Elvis. Was it Michael? Michael Jordan or Michael Jackson? You didn't know I had moves, did you? <laughs> was it the Beatles? Or the Beach Boys? You know, I, I think back when I saw the Beatles the first time, it's like, wow. There's a lot of cute girls there. <laughs> um, we love the memories, because back in the day, it was what? It was glory. That's what we called the old glory days, right? But now it's fading glory. Yeah? I haven't seen anyone lately dressed up as Elvis. Only down in the southern part of the state. You know. But really, you know, it's it's all fading glory. And every story, listen, every story worth remembering has fading glory. Whether it's your Green Bay Packers or whether it's your San Francisco 49ers or whoever, it's a lot of the stories we think, you know, the sweet, you know, in remembrance, but it's fading glory. Okay? And so we latch on to the next phenom. And whatever it is, how can you compare the Beatles and Justin Bieber? It's what, you know, what's attracting Lady Gaga? 
you know, all that. It's, it's like, and these are the, like the leading Twitter people in the world. Whatever that is, I'm still trying to figure out my smartphone. <laughs> so, the point is, the glory of God does not make the top ten list in my life. The glory of God does not make the top ten list in your life. It stands like a, you know, veiled behind the curtains uh, in ancient times or whatever that is, right? That's where the glory of God kind of gets left. But see, this is the very thing that you and I were made for. What does the shorter catechism, uh, Westminster shorter catechism say? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And somehow we put other stuff, we acknowledge that and we say, oh yeah, 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 got that. Check it off. Good. Way to go. But in my practice, in my lifestyle, in my conduct, in my behavior, that's not very close to my heart. I acknowledge it intellectually, but how, how does it connect into my behavior? And that's our challenge. So here we go. Uh, you know, the idea of glorifying God in our lives. We start with the idea of what's glory mean? What does glory mean? I thought I'd bring out all my pictures from my office to show you the glory of my life. You know, my wife, my children, and my grandchildren. I've got pictures that you've got pictures of the, the glory of your family in your life. They, they reflect you as an individual. That's kind of like what we understand about glory. It's hard to define glory. It's like beauty. You try and describe beauty or define it. So the word that we have for glory, there's a number of them, but one of them in particular is kabod. Kabod means weighty. Okay? Um, It's it's referring to substance, uh, heaviness. And back in the day, we call somebody, oh, that's, that's really heavy. Ooh. Weighty. Well, we, you know, it's regarding someone's, what? Someone's worth. And that's the idea behind the, word, the term glory. Okay? And in Exodus, when, and we'll talk about this just briefly, we've got a lot to cover here. Um, we're not going to try and cover everything uh, in one subject and one time this morning, but certainly there is so much in my mind uh, about this topic. And I want to just, you know, we need to keep moving here through this uh, study. But the idea of, of uh, glory is the idea of uh, weightiness, uh, substance, significance. And with God, when, he, when, when Moses says, show me thy, what? Show me thy glory... What does God answer? God says, I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. And then it refer, he talks about his name. And anytime you see the name of the Lord, anything regarding that, it's like everything, everything about God, everything about God is summed up in his name. And so it is with glory. Every, it's everything about God. If God had some imperfection in him, which he doesn't, but if he did, then he wouldn't be glorious. He'd have a stain. 
a spot, you know, something wrong. But God is glorious. It's in his name. It's the fullness of all that he is. It's his character, his nature, his holiness, wrath, love, anger, mercy, grace, justice, and, and all the attributes that we could pile up here together and say, here's the attributes of God. And you know what? It's glorious. It's glorious. So, I want you to understand some things with each of these points. You look at the bullet, uh, your, your outline in your bulletin, and um, some of these things will run through rather quickly. But I want to start with that the glory is revealed in creation. And we understand that with when God, what's the first recorded word of God in Genesis 1? Let there be light. And that's significant because it's not just physical light, but now there's going to be a, a spiritual sense to that, a, a, a figurativeness to that truth throughout Scripture. When God said, let there be light, there was light. But also, as we study the Word of God, we can understand here's um, this figurative use of light going all throughout the Scripture. So, it's a theme that's very significant to the overall theme of the Bible. So, this is the first display of the glory of God. Here's His creative work, and it's light, and it's glorious. And all of His, all the rest of His creative work follows this one. So Genesis 1.31 says, God saw all that he made and it was very good. Okay? So along with this and many other verses, it instructs us and counsels us about the glory of God being clearly revealed, clearly seen. So you have some references there um, at, at number 1, Genesis 1.31, Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim His handiwork. We like to say God's fingerprints are all over the place. It's just that you and I don't uh, assign credit to Him in that way. But His fingerprints are everywhere. Some people will say, no, it's, it's just it's evolution. God kind of kicked it into action and everything evolved. But no, God spoke, Psalm 33, and it came, it happened. It stood fast. And what we see on the earth and the atmosphere on the earth, it's glorious. Then you get the, the telescopes. And you go off and you, you start. Of course, we don't have to do a whole lot in northern Nevada on a clear night. You can see the Milky Way. Oh, my goodness. What in the world are we dealing with there? How many stars are in the Milky Way? I don't know. Do you? And the Milky Way is one galaxy. See, we don't take a whole lot of time to stretch our minds with that thought. And then we keep coming back and say, ah, yeah, see, it had to have been a big bang thing. You know, how, how could any, any, it's because you and I make little gods. We make God into a little whatever. God is great and glorious and He spoke and it happened and there's the Milky Way. There's the galaxies. Psalm 19, verse 1. Psalm 33. But you know what? The next reference, you need to um, uh, make a correction. It's not Psalm 9, it's Psalm 8. 
it's very important because you know what? The Milky Way or whatever other galaxies or big names you can throw at us about the universe, that's not the crown of God's creation. Psalm 8 talks about man being the crown and he's received glory and honor. Man has, you and I. That's the way God intended it to be. And yet, we stop and look at the news, we watch what's going on in this world, and we say, ha, that's, that's a bunch of baloney. Why? Because God's not faithful? No, because man is sinful, and man has fallen, and man has exchanged the glory of God for his own thing. Romans chapter 1. Okay? So, it's revealed in creation, the glory of God. Number two, it's revealed in the Old Covenant. Revealed in the Old Covenant. And by what, what I mean by this is basically you see the glory of God in the Old Testament and the, the, we call that, here's the Old Covenant, how God worked back in those days. It was through the Old Covenant. It was by a, a type. Here's God doing things with his people Israel and showing there's, there's something going on here. Something going on, and there's truth happening, and God's in God's working, but He's pointing to something greater that's coming, and that's going to be the new covenant with Jesus, the Messiah. Okay? But here in the old covenant, the old testament, God shows his glory. And we're familiar with the term Shekinah, the Shekinah glory. Okay? So um letter A uh, with Moses. It's in God giving the law. What happened at Mount Sinai, visually speaking, we're given the description that a cloud descended and covered the Mount, Mount Sinai. Okay? And Moses, um, you know, at, at one point, you know, the, the people sinned with the worship of the golden calf. The, the tablets were broken. God said, okay, here's the second giving of the law. I'm going to, you know, give the... And at that point is where we find in Exodus 33 and 34, uh, Moses asking God... Show me your glory. What a moment. And that's where we get that, what I said earlier. Here's, here's God giving, he's gonna, it's in, all in, summed up in his name and who he is. Okay? And you can read those references at another point, but they're there for your, uh, uh, referencing there, okay? So God shows, uh, his glory to Moses and Moses came down and what, what do the people see in Moses? Woo! Light shining from Moses' face. Ah, that's cool. That's amazing. And what did Moses have to do? Put a veil on, right? Why did he put the veil on? Because the glory was fading. The glory was fading. Interesting little note. Keep that in mind. Glory was fading. So he, he put the veil over his face. Okay? So, and not just there with Moses, but in their wilderness wanderings, letter B in your outline, in their wilderness wanderings, God shows his glory in giving them guidance. Not just giving them the law, but now giving them guidance and protection with the cloud, the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of fire that guided his, his uh, disobedient wandering people in the wilderness. And they followed that. You can see the reference there, Exodus 40. We're not going to look it up. 
Okay, but you have that. You can go look that up afterwards. Not just with Moses, the, their leader, but in their wanderings, their guidance. But now in letter C, in their worship, showing forth his supremacy. That's what he does in filling the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? Here's the center of their what? Of their worship in the wilderness. The tabernacle. So you have in Exodus 40 that the, that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And it's not stopping there. It goes on to how the glory of the Lord later on when the people settled in the land. And what did they, they Okay, here comes Solomon. Solomon builds up the, the temple. Once that's completed, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10 says, The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Okay? So, revealed in creation, revealed in the Old Covenant. Now, mark down, if you're taking notes, mark down 1 Samuel chapter 4. Remember what I said about the word Glory? The word glory, anyone remember what I, how I pronounced that? The word glory means weightiness, uh, significance, uh, heaviness. It was, it's the word kabod. First Samuel chapter four. They name the little baby that's born there, Ichabod. Remember this? Ichabod. Why? The glory of the Lord has Departed. Okay. So it's a little connection there for us. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, here's, here's these types, these shadows, temporary stuff, and here's God's glory departing. Okay. The glory of the Lord is then, it culminates here. Revealed, number three, revealed. And I left this blank because I want you to write it in. I want you to write this. The glory of the Lord is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. We've got to understand this, folks. It's not that Jesus was just a cool guy and, and, and really had a close relationship with God. No, here's the glory of God revealed specifically in the person of Jesus Christ. And you see the four points under number three. Revealed in his birth, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. Those are clear. So in his birth, it's not just with the angelic chorus. What was the angelic chorus we sang about three or four weeks ago? Glory to God in the medium section. And sometimes that's the way our lives are. Yeah, glory to God in the medium right there. No. They, they cried out and the shepherds were shaken in their boots. Glory to God in the highest. And not just, it wasn't just one angel. The whole multitude of angels showed up. Glory to God in the highest. And not just the angel, angelic chorus, but the star of Bethlehem. Think of this. And I, there's no, this is speculation. So I'll just say this. Speculation. Was the star of Bethlehem the Shekinah glory? We don't know. Interesting thought. What, you know, it says the star shown. So 
maybe God sent a special star. I think it was special. It's special in some way. Okay? So, in his birth, it's not just the angelic chorus, not just the star of Bethlehem, but the fulfilled prophecies. Here it is. And the Pharisees in Jerusalem knew about it. They were experts in it. They understood. They didn't believe. And not just the fulfillment of prophecies, but add in the orchestration of the protection of the infant Jesus. The orchestration. All of God's sovereign control. Get out of this place. Get to Egypt. Why? Those soldiers are coming. They're killing all the baby boys, two years old and younger. God's orchestration. Is God in control? Yes. Okay, letter B. The glory of God is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ in his life. This is very important here. In God's, in John's gospel, Christ's life, we, we find it like, here's a summarization that he was, uh, you start reading John chapter 1, he was in the beginning. That's paralleled with Genesis 1. You need to understand that. That's, here's, here's a connection back to the, the very beginning. Genesis 1. Jesus was there. And that upon his incarnation, he came, and verse 14, John chapter 1, verse 14, he became flesh, incarnation. That's what we get. And he made his dwelling among us. And the very next phrase is, and we, the disciples, John says, and we have seen his glory. Okay? The glory of the NIV says the one and only Jesus Son of God. The one and only Son of God. Only begotten. And what's next? Look at John chapter 1. I'm sorry, I'm just getting excited here. John chapter 1. We need to see this. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh. Incarnation. God became flesh. The God-man. God in a body. And he dwelt among us. He pitched his tent. Tabernacled. There we go again. Back to the Old Testament. Tabernacled among us. Right? And we saw his glory. The glory as of the only begotten from the Father. What does it say next? Full of grace and truth. Okay? Glory is pointing to grace and truth. Or there's, there's the connection there. We saw his glory. And what was he full of? Glory. No, grace and truth. Here, here's the thing, folks. Jesus was full of grace and truth. I, I, maybe I've mentioned this in the past, but it, for us, we got some people that are really you know, high in grace and they're low in truth. Uh, or maybe we've got some people that are high in truth, acknowledgement, and little needy and lacking in grace. <laughs> Whatever it is, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to label everyone, but you know what? No one is full of grace and truth except for Jesus. You and I are growing in the knowledge, First Peter, Second Peter 3.18, we're growing, we're to grow in the grace and the knowledge or the truth about Jesus. 
So we, we're on a, on a pilgrimage to keep growing in the grace and the knowledge or the grace and the truth about who he is. And that's, that's one of the entrapments of theology is that we've, we, we can have people thinking, I got it all down. I got, I, I got all the, I got all this stuff down. There's no one that has it all down. And so we need to keep humble, keep growing in our knowledge and in the grace of our Lord Jesus. That, that combination is what Jesus came full of. Okay? Now, you're in John chapter 1. Turn over to John chapter 2. Real quick. John chapter 2. All of a sudden, he's, you know, talking. He's, um, it's the pastor of the Jews. And it was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He was found in the temple. And he's, you know, saying he's, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, verse 17, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews then said to him, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? <laughs> what does he say? Destroy this temple. Where was he? Near the temple. And he says, I'm going to destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. What did the Jews know about the temple? What did the Pharisees know about the temple? Well, that's the, quote, dwelling place of God. Where the Shekinah glory was, right? There's the connection with the temple. And Jesus is talking about the temple. He's going to destroy. What's he talking about? He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. There's a new shift in things, right? I'm going to destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. I read that and I, I like to just, you know, again, be reminded of who he was. Who dwelt? I mean, this is no ordinary man. Here's God in the flesh. The very Shekinah glory. Here's the glory of God walking around. And he says, I'm going to destroy this, this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Also, take note and maybe underline Matthew 17. Matthew 17, that reference there is when uh, Jesus went up to the mount. This is now um, probably north of Galilee. And he went up to the mount um, there. And with Peter, James, and John, they went up and woof, there's the glory of God revealed. He is transfigured before them. And his face, get this, his face shone brighter than the sun. His face. And his clothes were like bright white. Here is God in a body. And he's showing forth his glory. It's interesting to note what Peter says about this experience in 1 Peter. He says, and now we have a more sure word a prophecy. He's, he, Peter points back to the Word of God in light of his experience on the mountaintop of transfiguration. And Peter's saying, we've got a more sure word of prophecy here in the written Word of God. This is God's Word. So, God's glory on display in his life. Let us see in his death. John chapter 12. Look at John chapter 12, verse 23. And on the next day, I'm sorry, John chapter 12, verse 23. 
And Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. He's finally said it earlier. He would keep saying, no, the son of man is not yet to be glorified. But now in John chapter 12, 23, he says, now the hour has come. The time is here. The son of man will be glorified. And what does he go and do? He goes and ministers to his disciples, but then he goes to the garden, gets arrested, and then gets beaten and taken to the cross. There's where his hour has now come. He's glorified in this way, being, what, lifted up. The Son of Man is lifted up. I will draw all men to myself, says in John chapter 3. So, this is why he came, to be lifted up as the perfect blood sacrifice for all sinners who believe in him for salvation. Now, you might be here this morning, and you might not look at Jesus as the high and lifted up one. You might not see Jesus as the answer for your sin problem. I would call you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are called through the Bible, the the written word of God, to trust in God. To trust in God through Jesus, his perfect sacrifice. Jesus, the son of God. Put your faith in him. Repent of sin. Call upon him for your salvation. And some of you continue to play the game of church and think that because of your religious good works, you're going to be uh, weighed in the balance and, oh, you get to, you know, oh, that's good. Okay, you you make it in. Your, Your good works outweigh the bad. No, God doesn't work on that system. He works on one with what his son did. If you put your faith in him, you have Christ's righteousness put on your account. It's checked off, so to speak, with what we like to say, with the blood of Jesus. Checked off. And you have his righteousness put to your account. Do you understand that? It's not based on your good works. It's not based on how nice a person you are to all the people here. No, it's based on what Christ accomplished. So, glory of God revealed in the person of Christ, in his birth, life, death, and in his resurrection. Um, and that's obvious. We're, uh, I, I want to just encourage you to look those verses up. It's obvious in his resurrection. Who's, who's seen a guy get up and walk around and walk through doors and uh, have holes in his hands or wrists and, and eat fish and do all that? And then he kind of skyrockets away in the ascension in Acts chapter 1 there. Who's got that kind of a track record? Who's got that kind of resume? <laughs> Nobody. Because this is God. God's perfect work. So now, there's the glory revealed in Christ, in the person of Christ. Number four, revealed in the new covenant now. And here's where we come to us. We say, most of, all of us here, most all of us here say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. That, that puts you now from, you're no longer in the old covenant, you're in the new covenant. It's based on what Christ accomplished. And this is all about, this is um, his divine will under number four there. It's his divine will. Second Corinthians four, verse six said, God who said, let uh, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
So it's God's will. He's, he's always wanted to show his glory because there's nothing greater. Okay? It's kind of like, um, you know, some guy trying to show how good he, he was in basketball back in high school days, and now he's about 50 years old. And he's trying to show off to the, the other young guys on the court and the guys in the court can slam dunk and they can do all this stuff. They can, you know, balance it on their finger and all. And the 50-year-old guy comes in and he's trying to show it off. No, here, God's glory is, is something that he wants us to know because it's the best. It's the best. There's nothing higher than it. Nothing. Nothing surpasses his glory. And so the, the design is that you and I, young and old, that we would say, I, I want to I give him glory. I want to I move in that direction in my life. I want to learn more about what it is to glorify God. And that's what we have here under number four. Turn to Colossians chapter one. We're going to read this verse. Colossians chapter one in verse 27. And this combines the two. We have that it's divine, his divine will. And under letter A of our subpoint. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says that God willed to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And that mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? And so. That's his will. That's mentioned there. It's, it's his desire that he, that you understand. That's what he's wanting to display for everyone. And so it's revealed in the new covenant. It, it is letter A, the hope for every believer. It's our hope that in Christ we have this confidence. In Christ we have this hope. Okay. And then letter B. If we were to read through Ephesians 1, we would see that the glory is revealed in the new covenant as the hallelujah for every believer. And the hallelujah for every believer is just that. Praise the Lord. It's your life saying, I'm going to live a life of praise and worship because of He's revealed His glory. And now, as a believer, being in His family, we experience that. We see it. And we give him the glory. All too often, there's a lot of times, not, it's just times where we take the glory for ourselves. And that's sin. We need to give him the glory. So it's Ephesians 1 is to the praise of his glory. And that becomes the theme of our worship. That's what we sing about. That's why we praise God. Then let us see. It, it becomes the habit of every believer. Okay? It's our hope, letter A. It's our hallelujah. And letter C, it's our habit. And you see those references there um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. I want you to look at, uh, at both 19 and 20. Okay? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. It says, do you not know... Now get this. If you've been following me here, we get to connect some dots. All right, here we go. Do you not know that your body is a, what? Temple. There we go. New covenant, 
It's not a building. Here's your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are His. See, if we would put that to practice in our lives, there'd be a lot less counseling going on. I got this problem, you know, I, and I got this and all this. You know what? Glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your speech. That's what your, bo- your body's talking. So glorify God in your speech. Glorify God in, your, in what you look at and watch. And glorify God in what you handle, what you make. Glorify God in your body. Okay? Revealed in this way. Is it your hope, your ha- hallelujah, and your habit? Number five. We're wrapping it up now. Number five. I said that the glory of God is revealed in these different ways. And number five is write your name there. Write your name there. Write it. You say you're a Christian? Write your name there on number five. I want you to open your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians. Please look at this verse with me. Second Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to look at verse 12. Therefore, having such hope, we use great boldness in our speech, and we are not like Moses. There's a connection. Who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Their minds were hardened until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant. The same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Talking about the Jewish people. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, turns to faith in Jesus, the veil is taken away. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You're free. You're free from the requirements of what? The law. Why? Because in Jesus, He kept the law for you. He kept the law. You're now at liberty. Not to do whatever you want, but you're free. You're free from the requirements of the law. Now, there's still the whole thing of saying, but I want to please Him. Yes, we do. We want to please Him. We want to love Him, serve Him, all that. That's the outflow of His being in the temple. The temple. And so we respond to him. And here it is. Verse 18. Look at it. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. What happens? 
being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That's one uh, situation in life after another. Here's more and more that happens and I'm being transformed. Why? Because I'm looking in the mirror of what? God's Word. Are you? Are you looking in the mirror of God's Word? James chapter 2 or 3 there? Don't have that reference, but it's in James where he refers to the, the Word as the, here's the mirror that we look at and we see ourselves for who we really are. Now, you put under number five, you, the glory of God revealed in, write your name in. Now, here's the quick uh, practical side of it all. Letter A, shining in my mind. What's shining? The glory of God. Shining in my mind. Why? Because I'm in the word of God. I'm wanting to read it and learn of it so that it transforms my mind. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what the will of God is. Letter B. Is it shining in my affections? My affections. Not just my mind, but my affections. What, what is it I like? What do I like doing in life? What do I love about life? Is it shining in my affections? Philippians 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Along with Philippians 3, verse 7. What things were gained to me? Those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. To be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. It comes back to the person of Jesus. Letter C, is it shining in my thoughts now? I'm, I'm sorry, my actions, in my deeds, in my actions. It's, see, it's not a matter of what we have made it into, getting proper or right theology or a right theory for my life. God wants to take it all and, and translate it into deeds, actions. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Write that down, Ephesians 2.10. We are created for what? Good works. That's what he says after he tells us that we're saved by grace. We are created as God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And letter D, letter D. We said shining in my mind, the glory of God. Shining in my affections, the glory of God. Shining in my actions, the glory of God. Letter D, shining on and on and on, and on, and on, forever and ever, amen. Right? Because there's a future that you, Christian, have with him forever and ever. God is glorified in your life as we take in the word of God, as we put it into practice, as we say, God, speak to my life, speak to my heart, But the question is, will your story, we talk about the never-ending story, will your story reflect his or your will? Will your story reflect your choices or his choices for your life? Will your story reflect your desires or his desires? What's it going to be? We, I think all of us, you know, we get the answers right on the test and check it off on the, the white paper test. But what will it be like in life as you live out your life? And so the more that you are taking in the word of God, the more that he's going to 
show himself and guide you in the way that he wants you to go. Let's pray together. And um, we want to shift our thinking now in this way of glorifying God as we receive communion, as we remember what he did for us. If you're here, uh, you're new here, and you profess faith in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to partake of communion. Um, if there are children here who have not yet come to faith in Christ and they don't yet understand uh, some of the issues about communion, please don't allow them to take. Let's talk about it. And we want to help with that understanding in your children's lives. And if we can be of help in that, we'd like to do that. Um, I'd like for the men who are serving to come at this time and uh, stand uh, up with me.